Migrating to another country is not easy. It comes with many rules, regulations and requirements as well as fears and sorrows, but also hopes and dreams. One of the most frequent reasons to migrate is the prospect for better job opportunities. And while the demand for skilled labor is growing, so is the pressure to migrate in some parts of the world. To tackle these issues, countries are forming migration partnerships to support a fast and easy move while ensuring migrants' rights. At the same time, many labor migrants and those who are willing to make a move do not know where to start and may even find themselves in the wrong hands of smugglers or human traffickers. To tackle this double-sided sword, the idea for migrant resource centers was born. Today, we will explore how they support both migrants and governments to embark on a safe journey of migration. Today I have the pleasure to welcome three ladies working in three different locations, but all of them are working on the Migrant Resource Centers. Golda Myra Roma, Labor Migration Expert and Senior Project Manager of the Migrant Resource Centers is joining me here in Vienna. Welcome Golda, very happy to have you. You're also a Labor Migration Expert as such. My second guest is Nadia Kashif, MRC coordinator in Pakistan. A very warm welcome and I'm curious to hear about your experience on the ground. Thank you very much Elizabeth for having me over today. And finally we have Tiba Ibrahim, MRC counselor in Iraq, Baghdad. Dear Tiba, also a very warm welcome to you and we will also talk here specifically about the cooperation with Iraqi authorities. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to start uh, with a few questions for you, Golda. The MRCs are informing and preparing migrants prior to leaving their country of origin. Who are the people that come and what are their most important questions? So migrant resource centers have different clients and uh, with different profiles as well. So in general, the clients of the migrant resource centers are those who are intending or planning to migrate or those who are actually about to leave the country already, which means that they have undergone, let's say, recruitment processes and have already identified their employer, but they wanted to make sure how to prepare in terms of departure, as well as in terms of how to adjust to their country of destination. But at the same time, we also have clients who are already abroad, who reach out to the MRCs, either they are already in their countries of destination, or they are in transit. So maybe they are on the move or they are in another transit country. And also lastly, and this is the emerging trend in terms of the clientele of the MRC, we are catering also now to returning uh, migrants. So you would see that all types of migrants from the pre-departure to uh, pre-migration uh, stage, those who are still planning are MRC clients as well as those who are about to return or who are already uh, returning or have returned to their countries of origin. These are also the clients of, of the MRCs. Now, in terms of demographics, 
I would say that in general, and this is uh, cutting across all the countries where the MRCs are located, they're mostly young, young men in particular. So maybe from the age of 18 to 30. These are the common age uh, profiles of uh, the clients of the MRCs. Uh, we also have, of course, those who are already above 30, 35, uh, still with a considerable number, but not as big as those who are the younger uh, young men. Uh, yeah. So young men, but it doesn't mean that we don't have women clients as well. Mm -hmm. If we speak of Afghanistan, which is so far actually some of the biggest or one of the biggest embassies with a lot of female clients, we approximately have around 13% female uh, clients for Afghanistan, MRC Afghanistan. But Afghanistan is, is a particular MRC, I think. Indeed, yes, because of the virtual nature of the MRC Afghanistan compared to the other MRCs in which they have physical office. Yes. Yeah. How does that how does that work with the online? So two major strategies that MRC uh, Afghanistan have introduced by reason of the fact that they're virtual. But just uh, to uh, explain further, there used to be physical uh, presence of MRCs uh, before August 2021. But when there was a change in the government, because they have to leave the country, then they have to be set up in a yeah virtual or online form. So there are two modes of uh, strategies that they utilize. One is online counseling. So either they use WhatsApp or phone for counseling purpose and social media campaign. So you have there the Facebook as the major strategy that they use, but they also make use of Instagram. And this is simply because in countries where there are a lot of Afghans, uh, Instagram is more used compared to, to, to Facebook. So it's a limitation of the availability of social platform. That's why they have to use uh, the Instagram, but it's generally Facebook as well as the online counseling. So that's for the MRC Afghanistan. I would really like to speak on uh, outreach a bit um, also more in detail a bit later um, but I think it would be also helpful to get an overview so where are the MRCs located and maybe also um, what was the initial what was the beginning of what was the very first MRC Yes, yeah. so there are seven MRCs right now. Uh, one is virtual, as I've said earlier, yeah. MRC Afghanistan. We have two in Bangladesh, two in Pakistan, one in Iraq, and one in Tajikistan. This is the current uh, setup for the MRCs, but hopefully we are going to open soon MRCs in Sri Lanka, in uh, Uzbekistan, as well as in Kyrgyzstan, and another one hopefully in Pakistan. Wow, these are, I think, news that are sort of fresh off the press. Exactly. Yeah, so th this is super exclusive breaking news because this was never announced before anywhere else, as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. And this uh, reinforces actually the importance and the need of, of the embassies. The fact that they're growing in number, expanding in terms of countries of coverage is a manifestation, an indication of the important role that they play when it comes to promoting safe, regular and orderly uh, migration. 
What's the beginning of this one? It was actually a request from the government, particularly of Pakistan. So it's in Pakistan, in Islamabad, and in Lahore, where we had the first two embassies. And this is largely brought about by the need to promote better information and uh, awareness uh, strategies to enable uh, potential migrants to make informed decisions with regard to their migration. Ultimately, the main goal is to ensure that that they do avail of regular processes. And at the back of it is definitely to prevent uh, irregular migration. Um, because of the youth bulge in Pakistan, because of large labor migration practices, but also alongside it are the abundance or presence of some recruiters or middlemen or intermediaries who facilitate these migration processes with license or without license, legally or illegally, these recruitment processes have become so complicated and so tedious that uh, people will come in just to facilitate the migration of individuals with fees sometimes, uh, generally exorbitant or high cost of, of fees, and this need to be prevented. These need to be addressed, and one way for us to address it is to make sure that the right cost of migration is properly and extensively disseminated to the public or the legal recruitment agencies have to be properly also disseminated to the public. So all these related legal, usual, regular processes have to be more widely disseminated so that people will appreciate them, understand them, and will not resort to all of these middlemen or facilitators who are, in general, not without licenses or not without permits. It sounds as if this is a huge task uh, to, to curb this. And I suppose um, you must be working with diff different uh, institutions. How does that look like? Indeed. And one of the key strategies that MRC adopts compared to other MRCs and related structures that were set up in uh, previous years is that our MRCs really closely work with government partners. And these are largely also labor ministries or ministries that are in charge of migration in the respective countries where we're operating. An example is in Iraq, where we are fully within the structure of the Ministry of Labor and Social Affairs. In uh, Bangladesh, we are located right within the building or the office of the Ministry of Expatriates Welfare and Overseas Employment and that goes the same way with the other ministries that we have. So we support the governments in their first developmental strategy and generally their development strategy includes promoting safe migration and one mechanism to promote safe migration is awareness campaign. Uh, information dissemination, guidance and counseling to potential migrants. Um, so we are jointly creating programs and activities on a general sense, MRC, as well as representative of the governments are conducting jointly outreach at the community level. They also publish, for example, common set of information materials that are disseminated to the public and at the same time also um, bring some concerns and some issues 
coming from the general public into policy uh, reforms or new programs or new services to respond to the needs of the MRC clients. So it works in a way, um, in, in a holistic approach, because MRC disseminate the information to the public with the help of the government. We receive comments and suggestions from the public. We bring this to the government, and then the government then will expand or come up with some new programs or policies to respond to their needs. And uh, in terms of numbers, so how many people can you actually consult in the different countries? Social media is a bit easy in terms of numbers because of the very great impact already in terms of one social media campaign. Over the past uh, six years that we have been operating the different embassies, we have an outreach of approximately 90 million in terms of social media already. In terms of face-to-face uh, -face or direct one-on-one uh, -on -one counseling, we have an outreach of approximately uh, 200,000 already. This is across different embassies. Now, in terms of the outreach to community, so for example, we meet and have courtyard meetings, for example, in uh, remote locality, or we meet with women migrants in their uh, district or in their locality. So that's an example. We practically have an outreach of around 500,000 already. So overall, we have about uh, 100 million uh, outreach or reach to different individuals in many, many forms, social media being the largest of them by the nature of the social media by itself. And um, we also have outreach to the community as well as to the counseling. And this is across all MRCs already. In terms of um, overall reception, is there also something that you face that are that is challenging um, that maybe you even receive backlash from those people who you cut off from their jobs? I'm, I'm referring to the smugglers, obviously. Yeah. Despite all the progress that we made, there are also some challenges. One is, of course, dealing with this middleman, with this recruitment agencies. They think of us as their competitor or uh, somebody or something that go against their business, that go against their profit-making uh, strategies and, and so on. So sometimes we do receive negative comments from these recruitment agencies who they think uh, we are uh, yeah, destroying their business. So that's one issue. On the other hand, some communities or some individuals also think of us as a recruitment agency. There are also that misconception about MRCs being able to get visas for them, that we are able to process some permits for them, and sometimes are even willing to pay the MRCs for that purpose. Of course, we don't do that because in general, all the services of the MRCs are, are, are free and Definitely, we don't process visas or permits and so on, but rather we inform the public of what are the right processes towards the visa. So that's of the, that's the, the, the second challenge uh, that, that we face. The third is um, they think also of the MRC not just an information service provider, but rather like a support network or a service provider in all areas. 
um, they might think that, uh, that we can give financial assistance or we can give support when it comes to yeah, getting directly the job or getting uh, some scholarships uh, abroad. There's limitation to what we can do. Again, it goes back to the basic principle of the MRC where it is actually there for information strategy and awareness campaign. While we do attempt to provide additional services, either directly or through referral with other partners that we have, there are also some issues that we cannot uh, yeah, directly respond to. For example, hospital or health-related benefits or services. We cannot provide that, but rather we do refer them mm -hmm. to our partners who are able to provide these services. So those are the three challenges. Okay. Um, you mentioned in the beginning that you are also informing not just the ones who want to leave, but also the ones who want to return. What are the questions there? So um, I can imagine that it's not so easy to even understand what may be challenging challenges for somebody who is um, trying to return to their home countries. The return is a tricky uh, issue because of the different natures of the return and different profiles of returnees. For returnees who are well prepared for their return, it's easier in the sense that they have savings, for example. So when they return, some questions that they may uh, provide or ask from the MRC is, where can I put up a business? What are the requirements in setting up a business so that I can still have an income even if I don't work abroad anymore? For those, however, that are returning because of, let's say, COVID-related matters where all of a sudden they don't have jobs anymore or uh, their employees or employers cannot uh, support them anymore. So it was an abrupt, unprepared type of return. It's more challenging because first, one of their questions is, I am yeah, mentally uh, distressed because I just suddenly lost my job. How can I recoup the payment of my debt uh, before I, I, I left the country? How can I um, support my family uh, again? What uh, employment opportunities can I still get here in the country or can I migrate again? And if I make migrate again, can I still go to the same recruiter that I went to or can I pay any recruitment agency? Because sometimes we're in a very desperate situation and that is the more challenging because again, what the MRC can provide is to refer them to available employment opportunities locally, but that's also very minimal and that's very challenging. And if they re-migrate again, then uh, the advice that the MRC is uh, giving is the same way. Don't fall into the trap of smugglers, illegal recruiters, even if they promise you all of this, you know, opportunities, because it's not always true. It's not always the case. So we all advise them of the proper procedure, uh, valid recruitment agencies, and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it depends on the nature of the return, but largely the returns are mostly unprepared, abrupt, challenging. That's why it poses more concerns as well as more work for the MRC to do as well. With the new MRCs that you have, uh, you are opening them or you just, or you already opened them? Um Still to be opened. We're setting up already the start. We're, we're, we're preparing for the opening. We are getting permissions from the government, particularly. That's one of the uh, major preparatory works. So hopefully either this year, if not early next year, we're going to open this new MRCs. And how 
does it work? Was it requested from you or what are maybe there were also different procedures behind it? And largely, uh, these are um, requested by the governments too. They have seen how the other MRCs in other countries have worked. They have learned about it. And they know that the situation of these countries are a bit similar to the countries where the MRCs are present. So they see the value of a similar structure also present in these countries. So they requested actually ICMPD as well as the donors to find uh, similar MRCs in their countries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And they usually exchange via um, dialogues or? Yes. So uh, usually the countries where we are working with are part or participants of the different dialogues that uh, ICMPD is actually uh, hosting or where ICMPD is the secretariat of, for example, the Budapest process, which is the longest or one of the longest running dialogues between European countries and countries in the Silk Roots. All of these countries where we are uh, located, they on a regular basis meet in this dialogue. So also regularly we present the progress made by the MRC and that becomes like a learning hub for them too. And at the same time, um, using this as a platform to voice out their interest for a similar MRC. On the other hand, the MRCs themselves, the different MRCs meet on a regular basis to exchange lessons learned, innovations, good practices. And these also encourage a lot of learnings from the different MRCs. Speaking of best practices, um, you have an overview of all the different MRCs. What are the differences? What are the challenges that each of them uh, face? Or what do they have in common? What are the, the differences? The commonalities is, of course, our approach of ensuring that MRCs are working, integrated, and part of a bigger government development strategy. So all of the MRCs that we have are really ensured to be part of a government structure because we want this to be sustainable so that the government can learn from our side. This is part also of our capacity building to the governments that we have, can learn from how we respond to the migrants. They can adapt these themselves and hopefully in the long run that they will fund the MRCs too and that they will take these as part of their strategy. Uh, of course, the flexibility of the MRCs to be able to to respond to the whole cycle of migration from pre-departure, pre-migration, on-site, as well as return, that also is one good strategy. That it is able to respond to all types of migration, whether that's labor migration or displaced uh, migration, or, uh, for example, those migration caused by conflicts, climate-induced migration, that MRCs are able to respond to all these types of migration is also a very good strategy that MRC has adopted and largely that it can make use of all platforms available from social media to uh, direct counseling to use of traditional media as well and engaging with uh, different stakeholders on the ground. And maybe some of my colleagues will be able to say more examples of, of this and uh, that would be a, a good segue to discuss more country-specific so that they can mention more direct examples from, from their side. 
Okay, and this is exactly where I'd like to bring in our colleagues from the field. Uh, maybe starting with Tiba in Iraq. Uh, you are an MRC counselor. And what would you say on the ground, what comes to your mind are the key issues that migrants are approaching you with? Hello. Thank you so much for having me today among you guys. So for the people who uh, approach MRC Iraq, they approach us for different reasons. I have to mention first that uh, Iraq is not a source country for regular migrants, but rather it's a source country for the, it's a destination country for migrant workers. And I have uh, to mention that when I say destination country for migrant workers, I have to uh, focus on domestic workers. Okay, so, Uh, so whenever we found out that Iraq is a destination country for migrant workers, we, we, we found out that we have to concentrate on this point and we started delivering post-arrival orientation sessions for the newly uh, arrived migrants to Iraq. So uh, we started our cooperation with the employment and recruitment offices licensed by Mosa, and we started organizing visits to these uh, offices and companies and meeting the migrant workers and uh, introducing them to the to the Iraqi labor law uh, because as you uh, as you know they are uh, the, the the migrant workers in Iraq are under the Iraqi labor law so they have to know most of the points that are relevant to their uh, staying in Iraq so we uh, introduced them to the Iraqi labor law, to their rights, uh, obligations, Iraqi culture, uh, the sponsorship system. So we have periodical visits uh, to the uh, recruitment and employment offices in Baghdad and uh, also to other governorates. So MRC team could achieve 37 post-arrival orientation sessions for 458 participants. Uh, I have to say that all of them uh, were uh, successful. Uh, they got to, to, to us. We visit them periodically and we talk to them. Uh, it's like um, it's a friendly session because they have uh, to feel that they started belonging to the state that, uh, that they are settling in. And uh, it's a matter of trust building um, between uh, the OMRC team and the migrant workers who newly arrived to Iraq. Besides that, after orientating the migrant workers to the Iraqi labor lot, we talked to them in case they faced any problem. We provide them with the contact information of the Minister of Labor and Social Affairs in case that uh, they have faced any violation of their uh, rights. Uh, they, they can contact the Migrant Resource Center because For the past post-arrival orientation uh, sessions that we delivered after that, if we get any complaints from uh, the foreign workers, uh, we get the full information of the case, and then we refer them to the relevant department inside the Ministry of Labor and Social. So all in all, you can say that you are working extremely close with the government. And where are the migrants mostly coming from? Where are they from? They are from different uh, nationalities, but most of them are from Kenya and Nigeria. So we found out that we have to introduce them about how to, to deal with the families, because as you know, as they will they will live with, the, with their families, they will work uh, with them in case they face any problem. We advise them how to overcome the problems. Uh, how can they uh, contact the MRC? How can they contact the MOSA? Because when I say that, how can they 
how can they contact OMRC and MOSA because OMRC Iraq is located inside the Ministry of Labor and Social Affairs. And the Ministry of Labor and Social Affairs in Iraq is uh, the authority that is so, uh, uh, so relevant to the migrant workers. How long has it uh, been in place? OMRC Iraq is open since December 2020. Okay, so you opened during COVID? Yes, during COVID. So it was a challenge to open a migrant resource center uh, during COVID because uh, we couldn't uh, receive walk-in clients, but uh, we found out that we have to create channels to uh, to, con uh, to contact with uh, our clients. So most, that's why most of uh, our, uh, our counseling was through the WhatsApp, uh, Messenger, Telegram, and Instagram, and all online uh, 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 social media platforms, but at the same time, uh, the Migrant Resource Center team uh, uh, went uh, outside the center and visited the universities and the vocational training centers as soon as possible. We were uh, we were wearing our masks and we were advising all the students and trainees to wear masks so we can deliver uh, our session uh, uh, in a way that protects us and protects our audience. You've mentioned or you touched upon uh, information already. How important and how difficult is it to get this information out? So to make the MRCs more visible and to reach the people that you want to reach? That was a big support to the OMRC because we could build uh, a very good connections uh, with our stakeholders and partners uh, uh, through these uh, partnerships and uh, collaboration. We could coordinate with all the, the institutions that we need to approach. Uh, I have to mention that most of the institutions that uh, we approach are universities, colleges, and vocational training centers. And to approach these institutions, we have to, call, to collaborate with uh, its officials. And the collaboration uh, started uh, with the support of the Ministry of Labor and Social Affairs through issuing official letters. Uh, this, that was at the first time issuing official letters because they don't know who's MRC. And who's MRC team and why, what are they going to do? But now we have concrete relationships with the with the with the government institutions in Iraq and especially the universities, colleges, and educational training centers. We can we can collaborate with the 44 colleges in Baghdad and other governorates besides uh, 29 vocational training centers. Uh, we started our. Uh, our, our raising our, our awareness sessions in Baghdad. Then we went out of Baghdad to visit uh, al-Basra, Ambar, Quds, Sulaymaniya, uh, and other governorates. Because as you know, we have to expand our activities, not only in Baghdad, but we have to reach audience outside Baghdad as well. And um, uh, one of the challenges was in, uh, in the north of Iraq because they don't speak Arabic and uh, and they don't speak, most of them don't speak English. So the language challenge uh, was uh, so clear. That's why we could uh, build a partnership with one of the NGOs who's working there and they can speak Kurdish. We trained them. Uh, we provided them with the necessary information to, to raise awareness about regular migration and the risks of irregular migration to the audience in the North. They started 
uh, delivering the awareness raising uh, sessions in the north so we could cover most of the government. Great. Would you like to add something um, that is important to you to mention regarding MRCs in Iraq? Um, yes. I have to mention that uh, when we started uh, delivering the awareness raising sessions, it was about regular migration, irregular migration uh, risks. Uh, this That was the main concern. But after that, when we started meeting our audience, uh, students in universities or uh, trainees in the vocational training centers, we could find out what are uh, their concerns. So to curb irregular migration, we found out that uh, the job creation is one of the main uh, points that we have to address. So we have the clients, they approach uh, MRC and saying that they can't find a job. But sometimes we found out not because they can't find a job, but it's because they don't know, they don't know how to find a job, how to look for a job. So we started, we started uh, uh, preparing uh, CV preparation sessions, uh, how to apply for a job, how to look for a job, and how to pass the job interviews. We got like we. Got, It's the most important thing is the motivation that we get from our clients. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your um, for sharing your experience with the MRCs. I would now like to um, switch to Nadia in Lahore. So Nadia, uh, thanks once again for joining. You are um, MRC coordinator in Pakistan. What are your experiences? What are the most common issues that you are addressed with by the migrants? Thank you very much, Elizabeth, for having me over today. Uh, at Migrant Resource Center Pakistan, uh, we provide information uh, to all those who are intended to go abroad. Usually people reach us out uh, to get information about work and study. Uh, we also have been reached by many uh, clients who are uh, basically reaching us for verifications of their job advertisements, uh, which they have seen over social media. Uh, people have approached us for verifications of uh, recruitment agencies' licenses as well, which we do uh, and provide them with all the information. Uh, many a time we also receive queries from the clients uh, when they have been uh, you know, kind of uh, undergone some kind of fraud by some agents. Uh, we refer them to the relevant government authorities. So these are the sort of the queries which we often receive into our center. Great. And um, what is your experience with working um, with other institutions and with the government? Regarding the uh, government uh, counterparts whom we are directly working with, since we are uh, uh, Migrant Resource Center Pakistan, uh, we have two of them working in, uh, at the moment. Uh, we both centers are housed within the government premises. Uh, we sit in there. We have a very good relationship with the uh, gov relevant government authorities. We work in line with their priorities. And uh, of course, like here in Pakistan, the government is more interested to uh, open up more legal pathways and making people aware of those legal pathways uh, in order to grab irregular migration. Uh, we do uh, consider all those priorities in mind and when we are going to the communities. Uh, so when uh, we launch our campaigns, information campaigns, and go to the communities, we definitely take this uh, information with us. Uh, we do, uh, people uh, make them aware about the uh, dangers and consequences of irregular migration, but alongside we also provide them with the information of the legal pathways 
available for them to uh, exercise those legal opportunities and uh, work and they can easily uh, go abroad uh, through legal means. There are certain myths uh, uh, are also around migration in Pakistan with that uh, usually uh, youth considered migration as uh, irregular migration as cheap, more, uh, you know, less costly. Uh, whereas the legal migration is considered to be as a more costly thing over here. It's more considered as a more complicated thing uh, because of the documentation and all those things. Uh, but of course, like when we take our message to the communities, uh, we tell them that legal migration is basically less costly thing. And uh, it's, it's more easy and convenient for you. It will definitely lead you to protect your rights as well. So we do make people aware of about all these things. And uh, resultancy, like we have seen, like uh, uh, the knowledge of those uh, who attended our session has improved many folds. Uh, we have experienced, uh, like uh, when those migrants who attended our session, aspirant migrants who attend already attended our session, when they are coming back over to us uh, with more information, uh, with more query requested from their side, it shows that the information we have shared that it's more is taking most is basically valuable for them and be kind of building a trust relationship with them. Mm -hmm. So you are really, um, information is crucial, um, I think, for your work. Um, what is, can you measure uh, at all somehow um, your impact? I know with information it's difficult to assess, but uh, maybe um, based on feedback that you're getting or based on numbers that you see um, or based on the requests that you're getting. Of course, uh, whenever we like we launch any campaign or uh, whenever like we are going for any orientation session, we keep this in mind to measure the impact of the message which we are uh, giving to the audience. Uh, we have had like uh, in there are many tools which we use uh, in measuring the impact of the uh, information we are sharing with the aspirant migrants. Uh, though it can be measured at many different levels, like we can also like measure the knowledge, the attitude, and the behavior toward migration. But of course, like uh, uh, to start with, when we go for an orientation session, uh, we do pre and post-assessment uh, at the same time, uh, like uh, we do pre-depart, uh, like pre-assessment test of uh, those who are attending our session. And uh, after uh, session, we also conduct post, uh, you know, assessment, which basically uh, help us out in understanding the knowledge, changing the knowledge of those who have attended our session. And uh, uh, what we have experienced so far, like uh, there is an immediate change which we see. Because the information we are giving to them, is they are very much interested, uh, we can very much gauge the same thing from their interest, from their engagement during our session. So these are the things that help us understand that the information is uh, whatever going from our end is well received for, uh, from their side as well. Uh, we also like uh, uh, did one uh, impact assessment study for all MRCs, uh, and I'm sure like uh, Golda can uh, elaborate on the impact and finding on that as well. Uh, final question. In terms of numbers, how many people have you consulted uh, in Lahore? Uh, in Pakistan, Elizabeth, uh, uh, so far, like uh, we have had, uh, directly counseled to almost 18,000 clients. And uh, over the reach, if I'll say uh, reaching out uh, through different activities, uh, then we have reached out so far from our activities like pre-departure orientation, community outreach session, 
our uh, university sessions uh, with the students and also sessions with the TVAT, like vocational training institute, we are able to reach out to almost 330,000, uh, you know, uh, people over there, over here in Pakistan. Amazing. Thank you so much from your experiences from the field. Golda wanted to add something um, on the study that you did. So this is on the impact, measuring the impact of mm -hmm. the migrant resource centers. It's a bit... Uh numeric so uh, I don't know how to best uh, describe this without too much uh, technicalities in it but what we did was to measure for example how far has there been a change in the attitude intent and perception mm -hmm. of the MRC clients when it comes to irregular migration mm -hmm. and there is an increase of approximately 13% in terms of the knowledge and change in the behavior of clients towards or against irregular mm -hmm. migration. And in terms of how they will now access regular means, there's an increase of approximately 17% in terms of the propensity of people, MRC clients, to avail of regular options compared to when uh, they did not know anything about the MRC or compared to when they did not receive accurate information about safe migration, there's more tendency for them to go the irregular way or reach out to middlemen or to uh, intermediaries or to the illegal recruitment agencies. So just in a very uh, simple uh, way, that's one of the uh, ways by which we measure the impact of the MRCs. However, as you exactly pointed out earlier, Elizabeth, the impact of the MRC, because it's awareness, it's yeah. really difficult. I mean, sometimes we take quizzes right immediately after the session just to check whether there is really a change in their knowledge. And indeed, for example, in another study that we made, they now have a better understanding on who really is a middleman, who really is this facilitator, and they now agree that not all middlemen are actually licensed or registered or authorized to do the facilitation. So this changed their, their perspective. So those are examples of ways to measure the uh, impact of the MRC. And on a qualitative side, on the other way around, what we also try to evaluate is without the MRC, will there be an institution or a structure that potential migrants can go to to seek the accurate and correct information? And so far, as far as our evaluation uh, goes, there is none. So their tendency, therefore, without the MRC is to go to the middleman because the middleman is the one who would give them the right information. So the MRC, therefore, defeats, in a way, the business or the strategy of the middleman and therefore dissuade them to the right path. This ties in perfectly with my final question for today's podcast. Uh, are MRCs, in uh, your point of view, something that should be expanded in terms of numbers and funding? And do you think this is maybe uh, the number one way to fight irregular migration and at the same time foster and promote uh, regular and labor migration? 
It is definitely a requirement, and I hear I'm being biased being a project manager of the MRC, that there is a need to expand, intensify, strengthen further the work of the migrant resource centers in terms of countries, but also in terms of the numbers within a country. To cite an example, Pakistan, with 250 million uh, people, and we only have two MRCs for now, with 12 individuals, that is also mathematically also uh, impossible to cater to the large number. So that is one uh, goal that we wanted to have, to really intensify, expand it further, to respond to the growing number of potential migrants, but also the evolving, changing nature of, of migration. The um, the return, the mass return over the past years also gave us more work to do. So that's that's really very important. Now, on your uh, last uh, question, MRCs are very important in addressing uh, issues about safe migration, but it's not the only uh, solution. It's not the only one that should address the, the, these concerns. The reason why we actually work with the government is we wanted to uh, create a whole-of-government and whole-of-society approach when it comes to managing uh, safe migration. So awareness raising is there to help make individuals uh, an informed decision with regard to migration. They know the risk and the consequences through awareness raising, but the economics in the field, the push and pull factors of migration, which is largely, again, economics, conflict, crises, this also have to be, to be addressed. That's why what we always say is, yes, we do promote regular migration. We do prevent people uh, by, by um, going through these irregular means, by telling them the risk and consequences, but we should also offer them alternatives. What are additional options for them? Because if it's a die, uh, how do you call that in a layman's term, if it's a really critical issue of survival, sometimes people have to resort to all types of means if they have no other choice. So our key is to make migration as a choice for them by giving them the right information, but also creating an enabling environment for them to yeah, work, survive, and uh, live a meaningful life for them as well as their families because the driving force always for migration also boil down with the needs of the family. I would say this is the perfect closing for this super insightful podcast episode. There is still a lot of things that we could be talking about. We haven't touched upon all the topics possible. Nevertheless, I would like to thank you for today. Joining me today were Golda Roma, Nadia Kashif and Tiba Ibrahim. Uh, to all our listeners, thank you very much for staying with us. This was a bit of a longer episode, but it was very insightful. For the first time, we had voices from the field. And we hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. And see you next time. <laughs>